0: I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Romans chapter 4, <clears throat> Romans chapter 4. <clears throat> I only have one one brother, and his, his name is Joel, and uh, I talk about my brother and you know, my family a lot, and my sermons, and probably more about my brother than anybody, maybe. But my, I got a good brother, and he's, he's, a, he's a great guy, and uh, kind of annoying, like all little brothers. <laughs> the most annoying thing about my little brother is she's about three inches taller than me. And uh, you know why that is, because my dad was always patting me on the head and saying, good boy, and he was always hitting my brother on the bottom and saying, bad boy. <laughs> and so Joel gained three inches on me uh, over time. A little brother can can really get on your nerves, though. Yeah, I'm glad I got a brother. We had, we, we got into a lot of uh, we had a lot of good times together. But when I was a kid, my brother would come to me sometimes with a a directive from my father. He would come and he was going to tell me what my dad had said. And I guess my brother liked to boss me around. I guess he felt like he should have a turn being the boss. And so he would come and he would say, do this or do that. Take out the trash. Pick up your room. Mow the lawn. And I would look at him like, who do you think you are to tell me anything? And, he, and I would just ignore him. And he would say, take out the trash or whatever. Lift his voice. And I would just look at him and I'd be this close to punching him out when he would say dad he won't do it because what my brother was doing he was bringing me a directive from my father but he wasn't coming to me and saying bumper that's my that's what my family calls me i get he he wasn't coming in he wasn't coming to me and saying bumper Dad said, take out the the grass, (laughs) take out the trash, cut the grass, or do whatever. Because if he said, Dad said, it changed everything. I've seen this with my own kids. I'll tell, you know, Mitchell or Matt or somebody, go tell your sister something. They'll go and say it. And I'll tell them, now be sure to say, Dad said, or Mom said. Otherwise, it has no teeth, it has no power. And here in Romans chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is moving from chapter 3 into chapter 4, and he is going to, in chapter 4, the first few verses make an appeal to authority. He has just said that salvation is attained not through works, not through legal obedience. Righteousness and justification do not come to you because of your goodness. It only comes to you through faith in Christ. Through faith in the good news of the gospel. Well, to the Jewish people, their whole life is is wired around this law keeping. That's just ingrained in them. And so in Romans chapter 4, verses 1 to 4, Paul makes an appeal to authority. Listen to what Paul says. I'm going to read chapter 3, verse 27. I'll start there and I'll move down to chapter 4. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. On what principle? on that of observing the law? No, but on that of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Is God the God of the Jews only? or Is he, is he not the God of the Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. since there is only one God who will justify I'm sorry, second by the stupid keys. There's only one God who will justify the' circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. This is the thing that caused the Jews, bam, hit the wall. This upholds the law? Now notice what he says. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If in fact... Abraham was justified by works. He had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and that was credit, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have seen the saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised, in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he is also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. We trust the Lord to add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. What the apostle Paul does is he appeals to an authority. He says, what do we know about Abraham? Now to invoke the name of Abraham, this is the founder of the Jewish people. This, this, is, this is the big Kahuna, this is the El Hefe. This is the top dog of the Jewish people. What did Abraham learn? What is coming down here? What does Abraham have to say? It's an appeal to authority. What did Abraham learn? And Paul jumps right back to Genesis 15:6, where he, said, he quotes that verse, "Abraham believed God and it was." counted to him, reckoned to him, imputed to him, or credited to him as righteousness. So Paul says, I'm not telling you something that is new and novel. I'm not telling you something that is unknown. I am telling you what Abraham, the father of us all, has learned. He doesn't stop there. He also cites a second authority, and that's David, the greatest king Israel ever had. David. David, and he quotes what David said from Psalms 32, verses 1 and 2, which we read this morning in the public reading. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven. The key thing to note is this word, count against him. So what Paul does is he makes this appeal. He says, here's what Abraham discovered. Here's what Abraham learned. Here's what we learn too, is that we are justified by faith in the message of God, in the word of God, in God's message to us. We're trusting in Him. Now, Paul leaps down into the, a little further, and he talks about the distinction between works and faith. Now, notice the, the way he, he words it here to cite this, this example. He's saying that salvation does not come to us by works. It comes to us through faith. Notice verse 4. When a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but it an obligation. Do you guys all understand that? When you do a job for an agreed-upon wage, when the job is over, what does your boss man owe you? He owes you money. That's exactly right. He owes you some dinero. It's an obligation that he has. And if somebody does work for you, then you owe them money. It's an obligation. And so what Paul is saying is if our salvation comes to us by works, then God is obligated to save us. What's another word for obligation? Debt. Debt. So if we do righteousness and God has to give us salvation because of our works, then God owes us salvation. He is indebted to us. We have brought Him under our power. We have enslaved Him. This is what Paul teaches in Romans, is that the borrower is servant to who? Well, I'm I'm quoting King James. I don't know what it says in the NIV. But the borrower is servant to the lender. If you owe somebody's money, if you owe somebody money, they kind of own you a little bit, don't they? Remember that old, good old country song? I owe my soul to what? The company store. Saint Peter, don't you call me because I can't go. I owe my soul to the... <laughs> <laughs> Revival swept out. I could feel it growing. <laughs> <laughs> my dad used to drive around singing that song because we is in debt. (laughs) Paul says, salvation does not come through works. He says, however, to the man who does not work, but trust God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. My friends, if there's nothing else I can get into your heads, it's for you to understand that you have no righteousness of your own. No righteousness of your, righteousness of your own. No matter how good a guy you are. No matter how good you are to your wife or your kids or your boss. No matter how good you are to your husband. You have no righteousness of your own that will satisfy God. God only justifies wicked people. Romans 5, 6 says that Jesus Christ died only for the ungodly. You have no righteousness to bring to him. Augustus Toplady in that great song, Rock of Ages, said, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Spurgeon quoted that song so many times in his sermons Nothing in my hand I bring that a, a lady in his church wrote him a note and said, Dear pastor, we are all well acquainted with the vacuity of your hand. Please stop saying that. <laughs> week after week. It just annoyed her. But you have no righteousness of your own. You're all just sinners. Especially on this side. <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> unrighteousness. But when I say you are unrighteous, I am unrighteous too. I'm an unrighteous man on my own talking to you. I'm not telling you to live up to my standard or be like me. I'm telling you to go to the same person I've gone to. I've gone to Jesus Christ to give me righteousness. And you go to Him, calling upon Him, trusting in Him, resting in Him, and He will give you righteousness. Now, here in our text, I've taken the liberty in my Bible of going through with a red pencil and marking all the times the word credit appears. Now, when you look at your bank statement, what do you like to see most, debits or credits? It's the debits that break up marriages. (laughs) (laughs) Because you over-debit. A credit means money is coming in. A debit means money is going out. But to you who believe, God credits to you righteousness. Look at all of them. It's in verse number 3. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Verse 4, Now when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work but trust in God, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. Verse 6, whom God credits righteousness apart from works. It's the same word, but it's translated differently in verse number 8, where it says, count against him. It's not credited against you. Verse number 9, last phrase. Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Verse 10, under what circumstances was it credited? Verse number, this is hard to find in NIV sometimes. Verse 11, the righteous might be credited to them. Over and over. Verse 22. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. It was credited again. Credited to you. Deposited into your account by faith in Christ. By faith in Christ. Because you are overdrawn. You are bankrupt. You have no righteousness of your own. You have nothing in there. You need Jesus. This is what Paul is telling to the Jews. Now we know he's really driving this at the Jewish people because he's talking to the Jews, using Jewish examples. Because they believed that they were the special people. That because of their status as Jews, they were going to go to heaven. Because they had the law, they are going to go to heaven. And because they kept the law in some semblance, they were going to go to heaven. He's saying that's not the way it works. And he's saying that's not the way it ever worked. This is a sobering thing to people sometimes. To realize that you're not going to get to heaven by good works. You're not going to save yourself. C.I. Schofield said, your biggest problem is not your sin but your self-righteousness. Have you ever faced the truth about yourself? This has happened to me I don't know how many times. The truth about myself, what I really am, because I tend to think I'm a pretty good dude, don't you? Not about me, <laughs> about yourself. Don't you think you're basically a pretty decent person? And sometimes you feel like you're always being wronged by your coworkers, wronged by your family. You feel like you, feel like you don't deserve those things. But sometimes you're you're caught, you're you're brought to the mirror, and in God's word, it, we have a mirror that shows us that we have no righteousness of our own. It's not going to come to us by our works or by our effort. It's going to come to us by faith. So Abraham is the authority Paul appeals to. He says, listen, it's what Abraham had to do. He believed God. And he says, and Abraham received this salvation. He received this justification, not when he was under legal obedience through circumcision, but before he received this. Verse 9, is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? It's for both. Jew and Gentile alike are both brought into fellowship with God through faith and faith alone. Look at the middle part of verse number 11. So then, he, Abraham, is the father of all who who believed, but have not been circumcised. And he's also the father, verse 12, of the circumcised who walk in the footsteps of faith. The true people of God. These people who are Abraham's people are those who have faith in the good news. Faith in the message of God. Turn your, take your Bible and turn just a few pages to Galatians chapter 3, verse 29. Listen to this reading from God's word. Galatians 3.29, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Paul is saying is that these distinctions, they have to fall away. There's only one way into fellowship with the eternal God, and that's through faith in Jesus Christ. It was not through the law, verse 13, that Abraham and his offspring received the promise, it would be the heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. Abraham believed God, and God's promise to him was, You will be a father of many nations. Now, how did Abraham live after he was born again? After he was saved by faith? How did he live? Was he perfect? Did he tell a few stretchers? Remember that guy? He's got, a, he's got a good-looking wife, and every time he goes to town, he says, don't tell him you're my wife. Sisters, what would you think about that if your husband said that? Now, don't tell anybody in this store you're my wife. <laughs> it wouldn't go over too good, would it? This is what Abraham does. He lives in fear. He does this over and over. He gets in a hurry and tries to help God along sometimes. He's not a perfect man, but we're not saved by perfection. You're not saved by your personal attainments. You're saved by faith in Christ alone. Faith faith in Christ alone. Look at verse 16. This promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace free and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. Guaranteed by Christ who gives it not only to those who are of the law, the Jews of the flesh, but to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed. He believed the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. This is who Abraham's faith is in. His faith is in the God who gives life to the dead. Those who are completely dead are passive. They have no power in themselves. He gives life to the dead. He gives life to the hopeless. And this God has the power to raise the dead and He also has the power to talk about things that are not as though they are because he knows they will be. This is what it means when he's talking about you'll be a father of many nations. Abraham, when he says that to Abraham, Abraham has one wife, Sarah, and he has zero kids. Now, if, if you said, now me and Valerie, we've had five kids. If you say to us, you're going to have a lot of kids, when we have five kids, we're like, hey, Okay. We'll just have more, right? Right, dear? Just have more. One one time I was talking to a guy, and he said, how many kids are you going to have? I said, we're going to have as many as I want. He said, what about Valerie? (laughs) Having the kids is easy for the husband. We don't have to do anything. This is the God in whom he puts his faith. The one who calls things that are not as though they are. God could say, I will make you a father of many nations. And for God, this is not exaggeration. This is not hyperbole. This is exactly what's going to happen. It doesn't exist, but because God says it's going to happen, it's as good as done. This is whom he has believed. He has put his faith in the God who has all power. All power. Now, in the last section of verses 4, 18 to 25, we have what I'm calling faith in action. Faith in action. Because true, saving faith is always followed by manifestations of that faith or by actions, right? Right? Now, I've given you this illustration before, but it's, it's the best one I know of, so I'm going to give it to you again. When Valerie Courtney became my wife, she moved into my house, and she upset my whole life. She turned me over to a new and better leaf. Before her, I was like Shrek. After her, I'm like uh, Prince Charming. Thank you. <laughs> it's like Beauty and the Beast, right? <laughs> I was the beast. And then it, she, 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 she changed me. She had, she's had an effect on me. And that's just a little old girl from Arkansas, what she can do to a guy. But when the Holy Spirit moves into a person... Well, that's a little bit bigger deal. A little bit more powerful person. And when the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, He starts rearranging the furniture to suit Him. He starts conforming you, transforming you into the image of Christ. Now, I want you to think carefully about this. If you say you're a Christian and you've been a Christian for any number of years... And you are not more like Jesus today than you were when you first got saved. You need to think about why that is. You need to think about why that is. You need to examine yourself. 1 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourself to see whether you be in the faith. This is kind of the climactic statement Paul makes to the church at Corinth. He says, that church is such a mess. You people need to think about whether or not you're really a Christian. Now, I don't like to de-Christianize people, and I don't have the power to do that. I may see you doing, somewhere doing something, and, you know, I mean, I like what you're doing, or, or you may see me doing something, you don't like what I'm doing. We don't have the power to de-Christianize anybody, right? But we you have to think about it sometimes. What's going on in here? Why is it this way? Faith Saving faith is always followed by some actions. So here in the last part of chapter four, we look at that. I was trying to figure out. What the, I was looking back there for the clock, but there just hadn't been a clock back there in months. <clears throat> so, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, "So shall your offspring be." Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. This is a man and a woman who are in advanced years. They're not able to have children. That time has passed. The biological clock has run out for them. But God has said to them, you will have a child. You will have a child. So, by faith in God, trusting God's word to be true, believing that what God has promised can happen, Abraham and Sarah do the thing that makes babies. By faith, trusting in God to give them the strength to do this, to enable them to do what is impossible. It was faith in action. Because true faith is manifested by actions, by obedience to God. Even when it looks impossible. Look look at the reading here. He faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that what God had power to do, that God had power to do what he had promised. He pushes forward, believing God, living in obedience to God because he was believing God. And Abraham's faith, it moves and grows and grows and grows. His faith in God, his obedience to God, his actions for God get bigger and bigger. What do you think is the climactic, climactic moment of Abraham's faith in God? It's in Genesis chapter 22. Where where Abraham has this one special son, Isaac, and God comes to him and he says, Abraham, I want you to take your son Isaac, your only son Isaac. I want you to take him to a place that I will show you on the mountain. And there I want you to sacrifice him to me as a burnt offering. I want you to take your son, your only precious covenant promised son, and I want you to kill him. Go to the place. What does Abraham do? He does it. He takes Isaac, probably a teenage boy. Some people say he maybe was in his early 20s. He says to Isaac, we're going to go and worship the Lord. They make a trip, three days, going to Mount Moriah, which which I think is probably the future Calvary of the New Testament, the future place. He takes his son there. Isaac says, Dad, we got the fire, we got the wood, but where's the lamb for the offering? The Authorized Version says, God will provide himself a lamb. NIV says, God will provide for himself a lamb. Isaac goes with his father to the mountain. Isaac, Abraham builds an altar, lays Isaac on the altar takes out his knife, and he's going to kill us. He's going to kill him. Hebrews tells us that Abraham did it, acted believing that even if he did kill Isaac, that God was able to raise him from the dead. So great is his faith, so great is his confidence in God's word, in God's promises, that he'll do anything God wants him to do. He'll do anything God says to do because his faith is in God even when it seems unreasonable and unimaginable and foolish to other people. He says, I'm going to trust in God. And his life begins with faith, putting his faith in the word of God and then living a life devoted to that same God. And The Bible says that Abraham lifts the knife and there's a voice from heaven. Abraham, do that boy no harm. When I was a kid, my dad, churchy pastor, had a big old. Remember those big white family Bibles with pictures in them? Remember those? We had one on the communion table, and uh, that was my favorite Bible in the whole church because it was full of pictures. And if you would turn through there, men are some great pictures. And I can remember turning, just leafing through it, and there was a picture of Abraham with that big knife about to stab Isaac, laying on that altar. And in the in that picture, there was an angel. Drawn in there, grabbing his arm. <laughs> Stopping him from doing it. This is, this is how strong Abraham's faith is. That whatever God said to do, he was going to do. Because his faith, his confidence was in God. I want to ask you a question this morning. Where is your faith? Is your faith in God? Have you believed the gospel? Have you entrusted the care of your soul to him? He says, believe on me and I will save you. Believe on me and I will give you my own righteousness. Believe on me and I will take you to heaven. Believe on me and I will give you everlasting life. Have you believed that message? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ and in nowhere else? And if you've done that, are you still putting your faith in him every day? Are you still acting upon his word? knowing what he says, and living by his word, even when obeying his word seems hard to do. Hard to do. Where is your faith this morning? Now let's pray together. Father, I I have put my faith in you as my Savior. I know you have saved me. I'm trusting you to save me. Lord Dear Lord, I have to say that my faith in you and to obey you and live for you is is not is not like it ought to be. I want to be I want to be faithful like Abraham. I want to be a faithful man. And Lord, how I pray that you would help my faith. Help me, Lord, to trust in you, to live for you, to be pleasing to you. And Lord, for these, my friends, my brothers and sisters, I pray you would help them too. Help us, we pray, in Christ's holy name, amen.